Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. So now we're going to talk about the woman at the well. And I was almost thinking this is probably the one that I would personally be able to identify with um, most of all the ones that we're going to talk about today, but I can identify with Jonah because um, lots of reasons, very, very uh, strong-willed, I think, and angry. Boy, I tell you what, I cannot watch the news for two seconds right now. It is getting in between me and the wood carver because I get angry. All right. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm going to read a lot of this, but I'm going to kind of read it like a story, so hear it that way. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That would be 12 o'clock noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that. You have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. There are several different tactics that this woman used with Jesus. And the first was she gets defensive because Jesus says, I am thirsty. Can you give me some water? And she says, how can you ask me for water? I'm a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. Then she's skeptical because um, Jesus says, I can give you living water. You'll never be thirsty again. And she says, you don't even have anything to draw water with. I mean, this woman has probably heard everything and then some from men, right? Then she's ashamed. He starts to tell her about herself. And she says, let me have, yes, give me the water so that I never have to come and get water again. So that I'm never thirsty. Because you realize that this is 12 noon. Most women are not drawing water in the heat of the day. Because they are walking a distance, getting the water, carrying heavy water back. It's hot. She's doing this to avoid other women. So she says, you know what? Have you got some of that living water so that I don't have to keep doing that? Give me some of that. Right? So she is ashamed. There's, a sh there's shame in that. Then she tries to use diversion. So he starts getting a little bit too close to that place that hurts. Right? And he says, you know, go get your husband. Bring him back. I'll give you some water. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, no, you don't. You've had five husbands. And this one isn't your husband, the man that you live with. And so she says, you know what? We worship in the mountains. You do say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. Can we please talk about something else? And he says, the time is coming when everyone will choose for themselves and they will all worship me in spirit. Then she starts to think and she says in a seeking way, I've heard that the Messiah is coming. And then after her time with Jesus, where he declares himself to be living water which is that liquid we've been talking about that fills us, that cleanses us, that purifies us. And she sits with him and he addresses her sin and he doesn't run away disgusted. He doesn't turn his face from her. He isn't ashamed of her. When he sees the disciples coming back, he doesn't go, oh gosh, I got to get away from her. But he sits and she sits. And by the end of that interaction, 
this young woman is restored to the point that it tells us in verse 28, she left her water and she ran back to town, back to those people that she's trying to avoid when she's drawing water. She runs back to them and she says, hey, you're not going to believe this man. He just told me everything about me. You need to come and see him. And the story goes on to say that they asked Jesus to stay in the town for a few days, and he does. And many people accept Jesus through this woman. This woman who was a train wreck. She was not a Jew. Jesus had not appointed salvation to the Gentile yet, right? Because that happens after Jesus dies and is raised, and Paul is all about that. This woman is not a Jew, and she is a woman, and she is a sinful woman, and she carries shame and defensiveness and skepticism, and after one encounter of restoration with Jesus, she becomes one of the first evangelists. And she goes back and says, you are not going to believe this. You know how jacked up I am. <laughs> he already knew that. You got to come and see. I think that shame, regret of decisions that we've made in our past, if we do not allow the Lord to bring restoration to those things, it can leave us paralyzed. And when there are those things in our past that we have not allowed Jesus to sit with us, talk with us, restore, um, the enemy then uses those things like blackmail. Because we do a pretty good job sometimes of getting most parts of our lives cleaned up pretty good, pretty presentable, at least right here, right? It, all that, I can keep everyone over here. You can see this. I can, I can do this pretty good. But while I'm over here doing this, mask on, right? Not in that sense, but masked. Then all of a sudden, the enemy starts to say things like, hmm, you're going to lead Sunday school? What if they all found out about that? You know, there's a good chance that somebody that knew that person might show up over here. And then you, you're really going to be ashamed at that point. And so the enemy can use the things in our past as blackmail. And it causes me then to step back from my act of obedience to what I know the Lord's calling me to do because I'm so afraid of what the enemy's blackmailing me with. Does that make sense? And I think that something else that we have to remind ourselves of is that sin is something that separates you from God. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Okay, so when we say things like sin is sin to God, all sin is the same to God. Would you all agree with that? I would too. But here on earth, there are things that are far more repulsive. A person that molests children is more repulsive than a person 
that gossips, right? Okay, but here's the way that we've got to view this. It's like if we're going across a bridge, okay? We're going across a bridge, and it's the third step that I trip up on and I fall and I'm down in the pit now, okay? I'm in the pit. But Kara goes to step eight before she loses her balance and she goes in the pit. Different things sent us in the pit, but we're in the same pit. True? Okay, so we have to allow the Lord to talk to us about what got us off the bridge so that we can go back. Because do you know that somebody that tripped on the third board is going to have a lot of insight for everybody coming behind about that board, right? Whereas somebody that trips on the eighth board is going to have insight there. We need you to get some understanding and restoration from the Lord on what tripped you up because there's other people coming who need what you've got, okay? But if we never take it to him and we're just like, I'm never speaking of that again, right? It is not restored and the enemy's going to use it like blackmail. Also, some of us have... Pet dots, like our book. It's those things that you know that you know they are gaping wounds. They are disgusting. There's all kind of decay happening. And you refuse to go to the Lord with that one. Anything else, but I'm hanging on to this one. Right? Um, I... Most of you would know this. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but I've had lots of failures in my life. The biggest one was um, when I was in high school, I was in a very bad, very bad relationship. Um, the young man was not a believer. I was. He was acting just like a lost person acts. I was a Christian. I was not acting in a way that would reflect the Lord at all. Um, we had inappropriate relationship. I got pregnant. My dad was a youth pastor. And my dad and I decided that I would have an abortion, mainly because we didn't want to let people at our church know that I had had sex and was pregnant. And it sent me into the pit. I mean, this was, I was already on the way down from the choices that I was making. And then the abortion was like, girl, that was like a meteor right straight down to 18 levels below. And um, it took a long time for me to sort of walk out of that. But I can remember the moment that I sat down with the Lord to deal with this regret in my past. And it was like that closet that you have in your house where you just, whatever doesn't have a place, it just gets thrown in the closet and you just shut the door really quick, right? And it's terrible. Nobody needs to look in there, um, but just whatever is unsightly or I don't know where to put it, I'm just going to throw it in there and keep the door shut. And I had worked really hard how many of you would say, I'm really good at trying to work myself out of the pit? Boy, and I can punish myself really good and work really hard. And, you know, I had done that. So pretty much, 
Things were cleaned up except for this one closet, and boy, I used every diversion tactic ever anytime in the quiet time with the Lord. I'm like, can we just please not talk about that? I said I was sorry. Now, <laughs> right? But there was a day where I really felt like the Lord was like, we're going to spend some time here. And it was the most emotional, frightening, overwhelming, probably four or five hours of my whole life. Because when you finally get the courage to open that, and it all just spills out, then we're both looking at this horrible regret, 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 regret. And my sin cost someone her life. I mean, this was nasty, awful sin. And the Lord and I, over the course of time, talked about every piece of it. And it was very much like, now I want you to look at it. Like, this is in the light. Now look at that. And I'll tell you that it was, it was all sinful. It was all awful. But do you know that monsters live in the dark? And when you turn the light on, and when Jesus, who is the light, is present with you, it all looks different. And I was able to say, I really am very sorry about this. Will you forgive me for that? And will you restore that? And then... I'm ashamed and very sorry about this. Would you forgive me for that? And we went through every piece of all of those things that I had stuffed away and refused to deal with. And they're all still in the closet. Because the thing is, I can't go back and undo those things that I did. That did happen. I will have always made those decisions. But after the Lord gets his hands on him, the, the word says that he is not a God of chaos, right? but of order. And so it's now arranged in this closet. It's all still there. But the Lord's had his hands on it. And it has given me the opportunity now with other young women who find themselves in those same situations that I was in to say, hey, I want to show you this closet because it cost me a whole lot it might be for your benefit and I'll tell you something else the enemy never says to me he says a lot of things to me about a lot of things but he never says I'm going to tell somebody what's in that closet because the answer would be I dare you because now it has nothing to do with how bad of a failure and how much of a sinner I was but it is a miraculous display of the restoration power of Jesus. And that is exactly what he is doing in your life. Whatever that is, and yours by God's grace is different than mine, but you have something that you just think, oh, no one ever knows that. That's the thing that you need to allow the Lord to restore. You won't ever probably have to stand up with a microphone and tell it to anybody, so I don't want you to think that. Most people are like, oh, I would never do that. You don't have to do that. 
But wouldn't you like to see the Lord take what the enemy meant for your destruction and turn it around on him to help someone else find reconciliation with their creator? So that's what the story of the woman at the well is teaching us, that he can restore our heart, our brokenness, and our emotions. And it is and can be the same thing for you. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which was he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I know that all of us here are believers, but my prayer is that we will all gain a deeper and deeper understanding that this man who wants to take you to your closet, who is the living water, who brings restoration, he really is the Savior of the world. Well, it is the Lord's intention that you would be like the woman at the well. So healed and so free that she no longer cares what the opinions of others are. She places value and glory on the finished work of the cross. Her emotions and her heart fully restored. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to complete this restoration, Lord, of our heart and our emotion. And I think sometimes as women, uh, this is where we struggle the most. But I thank you, God, that you are constant, that you are a God of order, that you are long-suffering, that you love us, God that you're delighted to sit with us, that you don't get tired or weary when we want to share. And I thank you that you're faithful. And we ask God that you would use our stories, use those things that took us off the bridge and took us out in those pits that we've been in. Use the things, God, those things that you tell us, everything we ever did. Would you use those in our life, God, to help us to share and be an example of the fact that you really are the Savior of the world. And we thank you, God, for restoration, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.